Code. Hello, world. It's Mike Traverso with the Friends That Code podcast, where I get a chance to showcase some amazing people I know that just happen to write code for a living. Again, I'm very lucky to have such an amazing person joining us today for the podcast. I've been a fan of hers for a number of years now. She's also someone that I knew I had to reach out to for DevFest Florida a few years back. She's got a small library of articles that she's written for both her website and for raywenderlich.com, as well as a stack of slide decks for talks that she's given around the world. She's so good at giving talks that she's even found a way to continue giving talks via the very socially distanced medium of the internet during this pandemic. Flexing her Kotlin guru-ness, she's got some publishing credits to her name as well as co-author of Android Test Driven Development by Tutorials and technical editor on Reactive Programming with Kotlin. And as if giving back to the community via articles, talks, and being involved in the creation of two different Android Kotlin books wasn't enough, she's a conference organizer. Oh, and did I mention her adventures in software development started as a segue away from her studies to become a dance teacher? Dancer, writer, speaker, conference organizer, Kotlin guru, an all-around awesome person. Today's guest, ladies and gentlemen, is Victoria Gonda. Victoria, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you so much for having me, and thanks for such a wonderful introduction. Excellent, excellent. So how are you doing today with everything uh, that's going on? Uh, doing pretty good. I feel like everything right now is just doing the best that we can with the state of the world right now. So doing the best that I can. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much par for the course for everybody. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's it, the novelty of everything has worn off and um, mm -hmm. hopefully folks just continue to do what they're doing. Um, so, Victoria, let's jump right into tell us what you do for a living, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my day job, Android development right now, I'm at Meetup working on the meetup.com app. So working on their Android app. Um one of their senior Android engineers. It's a lot of fun. It's a great team. Really enjoying my time there. In Excellent. addition to that, as you mentioned, um, also involved with the speaking, uh, speaking at conferences and meetups, as well as some article writing and book writing. Yeah, you you de you definitely keep busy. Um, so that that <laughs> that is impressive to say the least. I heard somewhere that you got started in software development uh, to satisfy a science credit. Is that true? Uh, yeah, basically. Um, so when I started college, uh, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do as a career. I was like, well, maybe, maybe I'll be a dance teacher. I like dancing. Um, I've been dancing since kindergarten and I've taught some dance classes at my local studio in high school. So maybe I'll do that. Um, wasn't quite sure if that was the final path I was going to take, but that was the the best idea I had at the time. It was something I enjoyed doing. Then uh, while I was in college, I had a one a science credit I had to uh, satisfy, and I had or still have a friend who um, was already studying both dance and computer science. And we were just having a conversation. I was talking about the types of problems I enjoy solving. And she was like, I think you'd really enjoy software or software development or computer science. And I was like, sure, why not? I'll give it a try. I, I need this credit anyway. 
Um, sounds more interesting to me than chemistry. <laughs> then, so I tried it out and I really enjoyed the class. Um, the just the types of problems and the way that you solve it in programming was really interesting to me, having like a set of rules, working through the logic, while also having like a bit of creativity. Um, there's multiple ways to do different things. So having that bit of creativity in there, I think also drew me in. Oh, excellent. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, you kind of don't think of kind of dance being very logical, but I guess, you know, th there are a set of rules, right? I mean, there's mm -hmm. steps and, and, and motions and rhythm and, so yeah, that 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 totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and and the world would be a totally different place if you were taking chemistry because you probably I don't I, maybe you would have been a chemist. But there'd been a whole lot of people that don't <laughs> wouldn't have read your articles or or your book, and so right. you know that that would have been a really weird. Um, there's probably a parallel universe where that's happening right now. Yeah, it'd be totally different. Yeah, it's like <laughs> chemistry. It's like it sounds really cool, but it's just, it's. Not for me. It seems one of the things that are just like too hard for me. <laughs> I, I totally hear you. I totally hear you on that one. Um, so, so you talk about dance and, and, and computer science and, and you know, how they have very similar you know, traits. Have you worked on any projects that kind of overlap the two? Yeah. Um, I have two projects that I did while I was in school that I had a lot of fun with just kind of bridging those two areas of studies. Okay. Both of them used an Xbox Connect. Wow. Okay, cool. So the first one, a bit more technical, was it used the Xbox Connect. There'd be a, a dancer in front of them, and it would basically notate or write down different movements and be like, well, from this timestamp to this timestamp, the uh, person moved their arm, their right arm up. So just kind of a simple version of like being able to watch what some a dancer is doing and write it down um, using a, one of the many different dance notations. Okay. So that was one. And then the other one is a bit more artistic. It, again, used the Xbox controller to track a dancer's movements. This was used in a performance where behind the dancer the movements would go through a program, but then project behind the dancer a constellation that matched their movements. That's wild. Um, so there was like three different sections, each focused on like a different like constellation. Like one might have been like Libra. And there was at one point that the dancer like made a shape and like behind them matching them made that constellation. Um, and I think that one is one of the really fun projects that I got to do. That sounds, that's pretty wild. And, and uh, is that something that you worked on recently? Because a lot of that technology kind of sounds like you would see it now, like, you know, with lenses on top of photos and video, right? I mean, it seems very similar. Yeah. Um, I worked on this when like 2015, I want to say. Okay. So, so yeah. it was like very much like, that's using kind of, a lot of these technologies. That, yeah, that, that's mm -hmm. that's right around the time where that, I don't know if that would have existed at that point, but that's so cool. Oh, yeah. that's excellent. Mm -hmm. So that's such a cool story on how you got started. Um, I mean, real, real quick, if I can ask, I mean, what do you think is more difficult? I mean, is it learning a new aspect of a language or a framework? 
computer software development or perfecting a dance? For me personally, I think because I'm so much of a perfectionist, perfecting a dance, whether it's choreographing or as a performer, is more difficult for me because it's harder for me to find the line of like, okay, this is good enough. When I'm learning a new framework, I have like a tangible, it runs and it does the thing that I wanted it to do. (laughs) So for me, it's like easier to, uh, I guess, be less hard on myself when I'm learning. Sure. Um, Like a framework or a library or something, just because I can point to if this thing shows up on the screen, I know I've accomplished something. Versus like with the dance, it's like, oh, well, my foot put, could have been pointed better at this point, or my facial expression could have been different here. And that line of I have something working is a lot harder for me to find as a perfectionist. Okay. I would have thought the other way just because the App Store ratings could sometimes be mean. And I would have thought, well, maybe, you know, perf- you know, because perfecting mm-hmm. apps and, and getting that all, you know, all those aspects, you know, kind of um, perfected for the user's uh, mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. But um, yeah, okay. I feel yeah. like with my response, more like, do I feel satisfied that I learned something um, as far as like perfecting a full app? Like, oh, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Um, especially legacy code is legacy as soon as you write it. <laughs> Yeah, and we're gonna. I want to talk about a little of that later. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but moving in, moving into today's uh, into today though, um, mm-hmm. you're incredibly busy. You've got a lot going on. I don't, honestly don't know why you agreed to do this. So, <laughs> thanks and thank you. Um, but in, in particular, I've noticed that you found this very smart and socially distant way to continue to speak at conferences during the pandemic. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Part of it is there's a lot of conferences and meetups right now who are looking for a way to stay engaged in the community. So I've been getting involved with some of those, um, including some meetups. I did some a talk with raywonderlick.com. And I think the the easy part of that is putting a slide deck and share, screen sharing on Zoom and speaking on it. I say easy. That's not in itself an easy thing to do, but relative right. relative to the world of giving conference talks online, um, I think what is the part that it's easiest to slip on is like, how do you make that interactive in at a conference, at a meetup, you're there with people, you're talking to the person next to you. um, And you're like there and it's easier to engage when you're in person. Sure. So to try to make it more engaging rather than feeling like you're just watching a video on YouTube, even though it's live, um, I'm trying to find ways to keep it interactive, whether that's Zoom polls or I'm trying an app called Mentimeter where people can like on their phone, go to the website, type in a code, and then they can like interact with the presentation, trying things like that for like quizzes and making word clouds. It's just yeah, I mean, looking def- for ways to make it interactive. You definitely go the extra effort. I mean, I saw you know a replay of the, um, the increase your product quality through accessibility talk mm-hmm. that you gave on Ray Winderlich 
talks mm-hmm. uh, or RW talks, I guess, yeah. on the RayWinderlich.com site. Ray's going to get a lot of like plugs <laughs> before <laughs> this podcast is over. Um, but, you know, so, so for those, you know, that it, you know, accessibility kind of it, implementing accessibility features, I just want to point out to, to the audience helps you as a developer understand, you know, all the ways that you can improve your app from, for, you know, for the differently abled, but also for folks who maybe don't speak your, the native language of the app or some other aspects of the app. Um, so one, I, w- I want to highly encourage everyone to check out the RW Talk series. Um, in, in particular, this talk, you know, the increase your product quality through accessibility that Victoria gave. Uh, and in general, I encourage everyone to sign up for a RayWenderLike.com you know, account because the staff there is amazing and they produce very high quality content and tutorials for you to learn, you know, all, you know, all kinds of skills. Um, I've personally found the iOS development and the Android development stuff incredibly valuable um, through my mobile development career. Um, but with that talk in particular, Victoria, what made you want to give that talk? I've been really interested in accessibility on Android really since I started with Android. I My first introduction to Android development was, again, a project in college where I was, I applied and I was able to join a team where we were building an app for a student with cognitive disabilities to help them ride the local bus. Okay. So from my start doing software development, I was like, I got into it really because I was like, I can use, I can use software to help people. And that can be interpreted so many different ways. It was in a very explicit way with that app. It can be in a more subtle way in like random other tools. I've worked at Buffer. I've worked at Meetup. I've done different tools at consulting companies, allowing other people to just have access to that tool through making it accessible. Right. So uh, I guess the, the first reason like why i decided to give that talk was because accessibility is something that I'm passionate about. And along with that, I want to just help show how making your app accessible doesn't only help people with disabilities, but also just increase the product quality in general. A lot of the things that make your app more accessible makes it just more of a joy to use for other people as well. Um, someone who is on a like bumpy car ride and they're trying to like tap this tiny link on the button. Um, one of the things that make your app accessible is to have like buttons that are of a certain size. So they're easier to press and that helps people with motor disabilities as well as people who like might be traveling or has like bright sunlight so it's harder to see the button or is juggling a kid and cooking dinner and like just trying to like hit it the button on the go so there's a lot of features that help uh, everyone 100 percent, and it's such so many people overlook it Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of you know and so it's i'm 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 grateful that you're bringing attention to it because it is something that a lot of people just overlook entirely. And it's like, well, you know, who's going to use that? And it's, you're, 
telling a whole giant segment of the population, yeah, please don't use our app. Mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, that's essentially what, what's happening if you're not coding to that. And a lot of the, a lot of the techniques that you kind of go over in the talk, like they're very simple things to implement. So, yes. um, um, I think it's something that I wish was tied in with other like curriculum as well, whether it's like an official curriculum or like an ad hoc thing where like often, I think it's often an afterthought because it's taught as an afterthought. Right. I mean, it's, it's, Essentially, if you can take the, if you, if you can slap the hello world on the screen and, and, you know, count the button clicks, boom, you're, you're automatically developing. And it's something that, that accessibility stuff is way in the back seat. And mm-hmm. um, so I'm, I, it is a good thing that more people are kind of taking that into account and doing it. And I thank you for bringing it into the, into the forefront with this talk. So speaking of the Ray Wendelick stuff that you're working on, that you're involved in you you've you're you're a co you're a co-author of the android test driven development uh, by tutorials right mm-hmm. and you're a tech editor on reactive programming with kotlin right yes. so okay as a as an employee of the new york yankees i get a kick out of seeing my name printed in the back of the yearbooks every year okay <laughs> so what's it like seeing your name printed on a you know the high quality technical books that you've been a part of I am incredibly proud. (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, It's something that like even a year before I started on the journey to do it, I never, I couldn't imagine it like like to the point where I was actually asked if I wanted to work on a book and I was like, no, that's way too much for me. And it's only through the support that I've gotten that I was able to accomplish it. The journey like really started like with writing tutorials um, and more blog posts and as well as getting support with like the official like Ray Wonder like tutorials and stuff that I've written to that I've written to kind of like get familiar with the system. They have like um support for like et- editors. So not just like typing something, it's going out into the wild, see what happens. Um, right. So that support is really good and really helped me get there. Um, by the time that I was approached again about writing a book, I had, I learned how much support that I have, both personally and through, through the publisher, that it felt a lot more approachable it felt a lot more like writing a series of blog posts. And I was like, oh, I know how to write blog posts. I've been doing that and practicing it for a while. So I'm more comfortable with it now. So it was it was something that was definitely, it took steps to get there. And the support that I got really helped me to reach that point. So I'm really proud of that and really thankful for all the people who supported me. That's so cool. I, and I, I get a kick out of talking to authors. I mean, it's, it's like, okay, because you know, you, you, I like a lot, I like a lot of books and every, every time I talk to somebody who's written a book or who's been part of a book, they always say, I didn't think I can do it. And, you know, I mean, maybe it's anecdotal, but then you go into a Barnes and Noble or you used to be able to go into a Barnes (laughs) and Noble and you see all the books. So I'm glad that folks pushed you and, and, um, 
But you, you mentioned though, preparing to get to that stage, like you didn't feel comfortable yet. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that process was writing blog posts. Um, so what advice would you give to some folks that are out there that are thinking about getting into writing a blog post and, and, and getting their knowledge out there? Is there any advice that you'd give for folks like that? The first thing is don't worry about if someone else has already written about it. Um, you're writing, uh, especially initially for yourself to learn how you write to a lot of times just document your thinking. I know I've had times where it's like, I've written a blog post and I'm like, even like a month later, I'm like, I know I did that. How did I do that before? I like, sometimes I Google it and find a blog post. Sometimes I'm lucky enough to remember I wrote it down. Um, (laughs) So just like that helps you like get over the hurdle of like, well, I don't know what I'd write about. No one wants to read it anyway. Um, don't write it for people to read, write it for you. And Excellent. that like really helps you to like get started. Um, and then there's, you know, other strategies if like you specifically need traffic for some reason, like you're like building a platform um, specifically for education. Um, then it starts to like help to like get other people's feedback and um, have other people like review your stuff. But really initially to get started, just write, just practice writing. Um, I, I say just, it's not necessary. That doesn't mean it's easy. Um, for some people that might be difficult. Um, it's I, a starting take, point. Yeah. I mean, take that, that, that's that first step is to really, Prove to yourself that you can do this mm-hmm. and take, take, you know, see if you like it because sometimes right. you may not like it. And I, one piece of advice that I got, you know, about, cause I wanted to start a podcast and, and folks were like, well, you know, what do, will you see yourself a year from now enjoying doing this same? So it's one of those things you don't, you're never going to know if you don't like it unless you get, get to start and doing it. Um, so Right. Absolutely. Um, get, get in front of that text editor and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that I like telling people, like when they're trying to get more involved in the community is I feel like it's important to find out how you'd enjoy being involved with the community. You can't just say, well, I need to be involved in the community, so I need to give talks. But there's right. so many different ways to get involved. You can organize currently virtual, but in general, um, like meetups, you could contribute to open source, you can write stuff, you can do a podcast. Um, And for me, giving talks and writing is what I enjoy. For other people, open source is what they enjoy. For other people, podcasts are what they enjoy. So just like trying different things and seeing what it is that you enjoy, because if you're not enjoying it, like it's going to fizzle out and you're not going to be doing it right. six months from now. And again, it's fine if that's, you know, it's something that you just, you know, you don't like doing, but yeah. you got to give it a try. And and the, the cool thing is I found is that writing a blog post, if you're, if you've forgotten, you've written it and then you Google something, you, you know, you Google a problem and then you find your own blog post. I mean, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's so, so much fun. I mean, <laughs> you'd be like, wow, man, what moron wrote that thing? Oh, something, <laughs> things have changed. What, they don't even update the, so, but yeah, so that's cool. Um, okay. More fun to do writing a book or editing it for technical issues. 
Ooh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> I will I will say writing. I think that comes from like just being like extra proud fan and like having having your hands in it so much more. Um, I also really like the tech editing though, because a lot of times you it's like an excuse to read a book that you never find time to read. Um, okay. Like I already like knew, I already know a lot about RX Kotlin, RX Java, but getting to read the book in a critical way just like made me like think really deep, think in detail about what it is that this library is doing. Um, learn about the operators that I maybe didn't learn about yet because I tend to learn as I need something. So if I haven't needed that operator, I might not have learned about it yet. But being able to TE the book, I was like, oh, I didn't know that operator existed. That's so cool. Um, yeah, it's kind of like free training. Yeah. And a free book. <laughs> right. So it's okay. really fun to be involved that way as well. And you learn a ton while writing too. Yes. Well, and that's, that's another good point that you bring up and that because you're writing it, you want it to be correct. Mm -hmm. So you learn a lot writing something because you're sitting there like, Oh my goodness, if I put this out in the world, I need it to be correct. Especially with Twitter. Like I don't really want people calling me out that I didn't do my homework. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's pretty Try cool. Not to let that be a stopping point though. Um, no, no. But, but the point of learning, like getting, yeah. you know, understanding something in so in, in such an in-depth way that you feel comfortable writing about it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's part, I think part of that process. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So we know you're a Kotlin guru. Okay. I, I, so I want to pick your brain about some Kotlin for a quick minute. What's your favorite feature of the language? All right. This one has changed for me over time. Okay. And I think now the way I want to answer it has to do with what do I miss when I hop back over into Java? Okay. Which is something that I've been doing, like, even this week, we have legacy stuff in Java. So anytime that I have to go look at legacy stuff, I'm doing that. And the first thing that I miss is type inference. Okay. Um, I find I rely on that a lot in Kotlin because now when I'm like creating variables, I'm like, oh, what what type does this return? What's that type called? I just like have been relying on autocomplete. I have a general idea of what it is, but to type it out, especially when working with another library where I know I chain this to this to this to this, but those intermediate steps, I, I don't know the name of the type that this library is using off the top of my head. Right. So that's that's something that I miss. And then I think the second thing is the convenience methods like such as like map so that and like let just to like let you oh, yeah. chain things together a bit more. Uh, I feel like in Java, I end up creating a lot more local variables just to get the job done and less because it makes it readable. I feel like in Kotlin, I'm able to choose when I want to create a variable, which a lot of times it's because I want it to be readable. 
rather than I need it in order to accomplish the task. Right. Well, and and you've, you've already answered my next question was, which was going to be, do you miss Java? And I guess the answer is, uh, I, I think from, from and I, I don't want to infer too much from your answer, but I kind of picked up a little bit like, you know, when you mentioned legacy code, it was a little bit of a, a sigh, a mental, a mental sigh. <laughs> like, so I'm guessing you don't miss Java too much and you're not right. really happy. Yeah. So, okay, we'll, we'll just move on from there. We'll move on from there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like everything I can do in Java, I can do in Kotlin. Everything right, yeah. that I've needed to do at least. Yeah. And it's, I, 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 hundred percent. Don't miss it. Don't miss it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if there are any Java Android developers or, you know, just folks looking to get into Android development, uh, it, would you, is there any Kotlin specific advice that you might offer those folks? Yeah. Um, one thing that I'd say is there's so much talk around how to write idiomatic Kotlin that you have to use all of these, uh, special uh, extension functions and at any of this like sugar and all these like special um, standard library functions. It's okay when you're first starting out to write your Kotlin in a Java e-way and not take advantage of all of those. It by just using the like I know how to declare a function, start there, and then maybe the body looks very much like how you'd write it in Java, even though maybe Kotlin has some special syntax for it. You don't need to write everything with all of the special syntax right away. It will come as you're working with the language. So don't worry about making everything idiomatic right away. Start by learning the basics without worrying about all the other sugar that comes with it. That's good advice. Very good advice. Um, so it, it seems like just from, you know, from reading some of your stuff and, and seeing all the work that you've done in your career, that you have this love of teaching, um, mm-hmm. you know, through the articles, the books, the, you know, but, but you're also an organizer of Chicago Roboto. Um, and for folks who don't know, Chicago Roboto is an Android developer conference. Uh, it's held in Chicago uh, every year. And, you know, I, I don't, I, I usually follow the conference every year. And I don't know, have, were you guys able to have this this year? Because I know you do it in April, early April a lot. Yeah, we have postponed to September. Okay. okay. Uh, we want to everyone to be safe. And... We are currently in discussions on how we can continue to keep everyone safe and turn it into an online event this year. Okay, So cool. a lot of that is still in the works. It will probably look similar to like Andev 360 um, is also online. So okay. probably look similar to that, um, but still keep the same like community focus as much as we can with that and just make it the best experience possible. Okay. I just want to say, I, I love this conference. Um, you know, maybe because it's in Chicago and I, I enjoy going to Chicago or maybe it was just the logo um, that I, I, you know, I think it was, I, I know Jarrell was involved and Ryan. 
they they kind of, I think they started it right. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the I love the logo. It's so cool. Uh, and I've always tried to make it out there, but there's always been something keeping me from being able to go. Um, one year I was able to help someone with the scholarship, which I, you know, I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when I was organizing DevFest Florida, you know, I stole a whole bunch of ideas from Chicago Roboto, uh, and, and in fairness, you know, uh, and Dev 360 as well. Um, but one of, and one of the things that I stole from you guys was, uh, the scholarship tickets, you know, because as an organizer, you want to be able to give away some tickets for folks to be able to come. I mean, you spend all this time, you know, curating a fantastic speaker selection, uh, to present all this knowledge. And it's a shame that you don't have either younger folks or newer folks into the game, get into, into that. But one thing that I think you guys did, you kicked up that idea a, a couple of notches with the Scholar Guide program, mm-hmm. right? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. This is something new that we're doing this year. Uh, we still have to figure out how we want to do this remotely. But the idea of that is anyone who gets a scholarship can also be paired up with a mentor, someone who has attended the conference before or is an experienced Android developer. Um, They don't have to have come to the conference before, but someone who has experience that they can share with the scholar. This helps in a lot of ways, partly just helping them get to know other people at the conference. I know, I remember the first conference that I went to, it's like, it's really intimidating walking into a conference and not knowing anyone especially like being new to the community. So having someone that I know I can go say hi to this person and it won't be weird. So having that, having someone to talk about what sessions you're going to go to, someone to introduce you to other people who are at the conference who they might already have connections with. We have a questionnaire to try to match up scholars and mentors with someone who have some of the same goals, like whether they both really want to connect with other people at the conference and have conversations with a lot of people there and get to know people, or they're more interested in learning everything that they can from the talks. And there's like a few different questions like around what they're looking to get out of the conference to try to match them up in a way that makes sense. And those are still open as of the time that we're recording this, that you can sign up to apply to be a scholar or apply to be a mentor. Okay. Well, so this, I mean, first of all, this is so, so refreshingly cool. And if I was still running DevFest Florida, I would totally uh, steal this idea. Uh, just so you know. I already stole it. Okay. <laughs> I stole it from... I think I first saw it like at the Ruby comps and rail rails comps. Um, so they've been really helpful in helping shape this. I got to talk to them and learn a lot from them and how they do theirs. Perfect. I mean, uh, yeah, I just, if you're a conference organizer, do this, do everything <laughs> about this. Even if you're not giving away tickets to your conference, I know that's a hard thing to do because it's expensive and you really, the ticket sales kind of help pay for the venue and food and things like that. But assigning someone who is an outgoing person, because um, you, you don't want an introvert probably to do the, the the guiding part, right? But someone who's outgoing, 
and and assign some so, you know being able to assign some outgoing person to folks that you know they register and they tell you that they're hey I'm I'm shy or hey I'm new um, this is my first time conference it's such a such a good thing because like Victoria you mentioned you know I I've gone to a few conferences and I know people I've met people and then I still feel really shy and weird going up to them again because it's been maybe a year or six months since you've seen them or talked to them and you're like do they remember me i don't know do they you know so i mean so it's a really weird thing and having that having someone to talk to is a huge huge way not just to make those folks feel better but it it, it will help you sell tickets uh because you you those folks who are kind of apprehensive about spending that money on that conference ticket will spend it knowing that there is that option. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just a, just a fantastic idea. Thanks. Um, yeah. Um, so I wanted to, you know, ask, you know, what are some of the challenges? Cause I know you, you're a senior developer, you're working at meetup. Uh, I imagine you're working with other younger developers, right? Um, what are some of the challenges that you see some of those younger developers struggle with? Um, and, and do you have some, maybe a philosophy that you would encourage, you know, some of those younger developers or just anyone really that's in develop software development to follow? Yeah. And I will speak from my own experience as well with my own journey. Um, I've been involved with internship programs since I was an intern. So I think one of the uh, one of the biggest things like if you're learning is don't be shy to ask questions or if you are shy try to find a way to ask them anyway um you're not being annoying you're not bugging someone you're you're learning and it's okay to not know something it's okay to still be learning and that's with any stage of your software development journey, um, whether you're an intern, junior developer, all the way up to like senior and staff. Um, it's being okay to ask questions and not know something. Um, don't think of it as shameful. And that goes the other way too, if you are like someone who's mentoring someone else or even just a peer not to uh, treat it as an annoyance or like they should have known something. We all have different skill sets. We all have different experiences. We all have different ways that we learn. Um, the fact that someone's asking a question means they want to learn. So being positive when those questions are asked and supporting that and creating an environment where people can ask questions, I think it's right. also important. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you're a senior person and you don't like maybe it being, you know, interacting with or having so many junior folks ask you questions, I mean, think of it like this. It's, it's almost like you've got your own fan club that, <laughs> that thinks you're so smart that they want to, they want your knowledge. So, you know, don't, don't, um, don't kind of dismiss those folks. Um, they're not, they're not out to get your job. <laughs> they're just right. there. They're just there to get their paychecks as well. So there's enough, I mean, there's, there's just enough knowledge to be spread around and, you know, for the folks who want to make life difficult for younger people, please don't, it's mm -hmm. just not, it's not cool. Not cool. 
Yeah. Oh, I mean, and I, and I think you answered this next bit. I mean, with your, with your answer to that question, which was, you know, what, what advice would you give yourself now that you've had all of your career experiences? Mm-hmm. So, so you're, sorry, your younger self, what, what advice yeah. would you give your younger self now? Um, that you're more capable than you give yourself credit for. So, um, and kind of to explain on that is you're not only what it is that you've learned in the past. I've learned how to use a recycler view and retrofit and put them together to display a list. You are also your potential to learn. So don't think of, I've only learned this stuff, so I'm not useful. You have so much potential to learn and be productive through the things that you're constantly learning. Um, That's deep. deep. Yeah. That's pretty deep. Yeah. It's like a tangible example is I, when I started Meetup, we're using GraphQL. I knew nothing about GraphQL when I started. And that doesn't mean that I couldn't participate and contribute to that part of the code because I had that potential to learn it. And yeah, I had to take the time to learn it, but that doesn't mean that I couldn't. It doesn't mean that I wasn't able to contribute because everyone is also their potential to learn. Yeah. I mean, that's so, so well put. I've got nothing to add to that. I mean, (laughs) Go back, rewind, you know, hit that minus 10 on your podcast listener and listen to all of that again um, because it's great advice. Um, So I, I want to, one of the things I want to do with the podcast and I ask everybody I talk to, you know, these, these are, these are, you know, the advice questions. And then these next questions I ask everybody because I want to kind of get, I want to build a sense of, Hey, not everybody is built the same. Not everybody is the same in this community, but we all contribute and it, it's you all, but be- we all belong to the same weird, goofy tribe of that. And, and the thing that aligns us is software development, you know? Uh, so what's one thing that you can share that you do that totally breaks the mold on being that stereotypical programming nerd? Mm-hmm. Um, is it, you know, do you golf, you ride bikes? You know, are you, do you skydive? Are you a huge Downton Abbey fan? What 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 is what is it that you can share? Um, well, outside of dance, which we've already talked about, right. um, I'm also returning to my hobby of sewing. Okay. So all like through like when I was performing in dance, I was involved with costuming and sewing costumes, as well as I've done like alterations on stuff and. I've sewn my own clothes in the past, so I'm just starting to get back into that. Just I just set up a sewing table so I can have the space for it at home. So that's something that I'm returning to. Um, just another possibility to create this time with like physical materials. That's so cool. I I, I mean I I want to I'll share a little bit about that. You know because I've you know with the pandemic and everything, I've I actually went and bought a sewing machine because I you know everybody's freaking out and there's no masks. So I figured, okay, I'll start making masks for folks and bought a sewing machine and started making them. And, um, now I've, I've caught, I've caught the sewing bug myself. I, you know, the next project that I'm working on now is, um, a pencil, um, 
what do they call it? A pencil holder. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, a pencil case. Yeah. You know, so um, learning how to make the pouch and then put uh, put the zipper on and don't do it to the point where you sew the zipper onto the inside <laughs> of, of the case. So mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. And, and but when you talked about having a table, like that's getting a table. So for folks who don't know, getting a sewing table and, and uh, you know, all the materials and like that, that takes up a lot of space. So kudos. And that's, that is a, yeah. that is a, that's an endeavor. Yeah. I have like a mini version right now, but I have a feeling it's going to start growing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. So talking about being positive, we want this podcast to be all about positivity. Um, and, and part of that means that folks need to love themselves before they are able to show love to other developers or people in the community. So, you know, we talked a little bit about this um, kind of a feeling on the outs or a little bit of imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. uh, tell us what, you know, some, what are some of the accomplishments that you have in your confidence well that you're able to dig into when you need to, to feel confident about yourself? What are some of those accomplishments that you're most proud of? And yeah. I, I think I know the number one thing here, I think. Uh, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> um, the one that I'm going to pick is my journey to become a public speaker. This was something that I never would have imagined in a million years. Um, I, you, I don't know if you can tell through my face at conferences, but I am very shy and I have social anxiety. So learning to work with my anxiety and get involved with the community through speaking is an accomplishment I never would have expected from me. Um, people who knew me when I was a kid are like so surprised that it's like now I speak at conferences. Um, so that's like even more than writing books, like being able to speak at conferences is something I never would have imagined. And again, like that's something that came with a lot of support and a lot of growth and a lot of baby steps um, to get there. It was a longer journey that could be talked about. <laughs> And, and I, you know, I, I, sometimes I think a lot of that, well, we won't go too much into that, but I, I do want to focus on like the fact that you do have this accomplishment that you are so proud of that mm -hmm. even if like, for example, you go into meetup and they're using GraphQL and maybe you're the only person on the team that doesn't know anything about GraphQL. There's that sense that first couple of weeks that you're in the code base, like, oh, what am I doing here? You know, right? I mean, mm -hmm. do I belong? I, you know, everybody's had those kind of experiences when you go on to a new job and they're using that new technology stack that you don't know that one thing and you're trying to learn it and you get that feeling of, do I belong here? So that being able to dig, you know, into something that you've accomplished mm -hmm. and use that as that base of like, look, I did this. So learning this other stuff is going to, or doing this other thing, this is going to be easy because I did that in the past. So that it's be, you know, being able to say that, you know, that, that public speaking, I th again, I thought it was going to be the book, but oh, you, you psyched me out <laughs> on that one, but, but that's, that's great. I mean, I, like I said, it's, you need to learn to love yourself before you can, you know, show love to others. And so it's, it's a good, I liked, again, just want to spread that positivity and be, you know, be supportive of, both you're, both of, of yourself and others because mm -hmm. it's again it's one big wacky tribe um so 
uh, I think that's it. I don't, I've got, I've, I am out of questions that I've written down. Um, and we're doing pretty good. We're at the 45 minute mark, 48 minutes. So we're pretty good. Um, I want to point out that both of the books that Victoria is involved in um, are available at raywenderlich.com. Um, Chicago Roboto. And again, if, if you get a chance to go to Chicago Roboto, whether it's this year, whether it's next year, if it's online this year, really, I mean, seriously, there's no excuse. You've got to do this. If you, if you can do this, you've got to do this. And I think what I'm going to do with that is um, I'm going to keep an eye out. And if you do it online or you do it in person, I'm going to try to sponsor a slot for someone. I mean, I did that before. And um, Luis, if you're listening, um, give me a holler. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, so, but, and it's a great, it's a great conference. They always get amazing speakers. Go ahead, go in. You will not have a bad time. And that is, I believe, chicagoroboto.org. Uh, oh, I should know this off the top of my head. It's either .org or .com. Okay. Well, you know what? We'll go ahead and I'll fix the org or com in the show. <laughs> I'll, I'll fix it in post, but we'll also, we'll have the correct link in the show notes. Um, and then I think that's a. So we've we've covered the books, we've got the we've got the conference. That's that is it. So Victoria, if you've got nothing else. Yeah. Um I'll just add if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can find me on Twitter. Um have to keep talking there. Um at TT Ganda. I'm on LinkedIn too, if that's more of your thing. And yeah, that's also where I'll post any new things I have going on. Excellent. 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 Victoria, thank you so much again. And thank you all for listening. Next week, we'll be back again with another amazing person that I know that just happens to write code for a living. Until then, be well, everyone.